I am so gra- grateful to have Jeff Powell in the house. Jeff, won't you come on up? We love Jeff, and, and like I said, this family, and I want him to preach the word. I told him, what, whatever God's put in your heart, you say it. You, put, you say whatever God's put on your heart, you lead it, you pray with people. Let's take this thing and see where God's going. So anyhow, give him a great big live point welcome. Can you do it? Thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much, and thank you for uh, welcoming the pals to Life Point. For those that don't know, when uh, Pastor was listing all those cities, those are my kids. Those are not the uh, places that we've lived or moved from or been kicked out of. We have five beautiful boys that we love, and uh, he didn't mention my mother-in-law, who is also with us. So, Miss Margaret, we're quite a package deal when we move to town, and so uh, so thank you for welcoming us. How about how much do we love Pastor Donovan and Sister Valerie? You know, one thing I tell people all the time when they talk about us moving from Alexandria to Life Point, and uh, you know, how's it how's it feel? How's it how's it look? You know, the one thing that I love about Pastor Donovan and Sister Valerie is, you can say whatever else you want to say about them, but they're real. They're the real deal. There's no show, whether it's up here or whether it's out there or whether it's sitting at the dinner table. They are the real deal, and I think. Among so many other virtues, that that's what we all should desire to be, just, just real. As real as we are before God, we should be real with each other. And uh, so thankful to have leadership like that. And, of course, Brendan and Lizzie and baby Liza, Lyra, Jane. It's Eliza Jane. There's a Wesley, there's an old country song called Liza Jane. And we love Alexander as well, and so thankful for the many gifts and talents that he has and brings to Life Point. It's such a blessing to be here at Life Point. If you've never made a major life change and shift and move your family, whether it was two hours away or 28 hours away, you understand how big of a, a change it is to your family when you when you move. For those that don't know us, we did we did just move here a few months ago from Alexandria. When I had a new opportunity with my career and after much prayer and fasting and seeking godly counsel my wife and I decided that God was determined to rock our world and to teach us what what faith really is see we're all living for a kingdom we're living for our own kingdom or we're living for his kingdom and every now and then if we're trying to do chug along with what God wants us to do, He's going to test us a little bit. And oftentimes that testing comes in the form of a question. Whose kingdom are you living for? Part of the decision process before Bridget and I chose to move our whole brood two hours away from everything that my children have ever known required us to make sure that there was a a strong apostolic church to stay plugged into and we were very active where we came from and of course it definitely helped that Pastor Anthony Mangan strongly recommended Life Point and, and blessed to have friendships with quality mentors like, like Brother Anthony and, and Pastor Donovan 
but it wasn't until Bridget and I and the kids were able to come down. How many of y'all remember the first time you saw our whole family come in here on a Wednesday night? I know some of you were scared. It's okay. We're okay. We're okay. But we were able to come join, and we met with Pastor Donovan and Sister Valerie before service, and then, then we were able to join in the worship, the evening worship, and we felt completely in the will of God that we had a place to plug into, and I'm so thankful for that. As visitors and, and now as members, we've been able to experience the love and the passion. We've experienced the, the heartbeat of Life Point through you, through each one of you welcoming us through your worship, through your commitment to Jesus, people, and mission. There's not a stronger focus in this world than Jesus, people, and mission. Thank you for welcoming, welcoming us into the fold and, and for letting us be a part of this great journey here at Life Point. If you're visiting with us today and you're looking for a place to continue your journey with Jesus, then I'll tell you, welcome home. You found it. This is a place where we can all be real. Now, I hope you'll come back to hear our pastor, though. Here at Life Point, we're truly dedicated to Jesus, people, and mission. It's not just a slogan. It's in our DNA. Pastor Donovan, Sister Valerie, the leadership team here at Life Point are dedicated to creating an environment where everyone feels a part of God's kingdom and are committed to helping each of us find our kingdom purpose as we live this journey together. So welcome. How many of you understand that we're part of a great revival right now, right here at Life Point? We're on laying the foundation for what is already a great work, but where God's trying to take us to the next level. There are exciting things happening, and God has called each of us here for such a time as this. Do you want to be a part of something great in the kingdom of God? Do you want to be part of something great in the kingdom of God? Please just nudge your neighbor for a second, even if you've been married 48 years, and say, I know I'm here for a purpose. Those who have been married 48 years hit a little bit harder than the rest of them. Why don't you stand with me as we read our scripture text for this morning. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 12 is is where we'll base out of for, for our message. And as you're turning there, I just want to tell you that God's got us all on a journey. And if we'll tap into what the Lord wants to do to us and in us and through us, then we'll have the most fulfilled life experiences that anybody could ever imagine. And I'd like to carry you just for a few moments this morning along that journey. And it's a journey that I've been on. But I think if each of us engages in this journey, no matter where we are at the very beginning of that journey, or we've been in this for 60, 70, 80 years, there are great things that God wants to do through us in his kingdom. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 starts with, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with, done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And then hone in on verse 12 there. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. 
But then, one day, we're going to be face to face. Now, today, I know in part. But then, I shall know just as I also am known. Say, am known. I'd like to speak to you for a few minutes this morning about caterpillars and butterflies. Caterpillars and butterflies. Let's pray before we're seated. Lord, we're so thankful for your presence that we felt so strongly here already this morning. God, you've put us here for a purpose, God. So I ask that you reach down and touch each and every one of us this morning, God, and help us to not only hear and to understand your word today and what your spirit is trying to tell each and every one of us, but God, I pray that you put action in our hands. I pray that you put movement in our feet, God. I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you want us to not only be but do for your kingdom. We ask that you continue to be with us throughout this service and let your anointing flow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you're seated, ask your neighbor, have you looked in the mirror today? Most everybody looks as though they have, right? For those familiar with this particular body of Scripture where these verses come from, you'll notice that for some reason these few verses are seemingly camouflaged in the middle of the love chapter, the chapter of love of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is where Paul teaches us the ways of love, right? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clean, a clean temple. You know what I'm saying. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not. You can help me this morning. It's okay. I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Then he goes into what love does. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. does not seek its own. is not provoked. thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in equity, but... Love, it rejoices in what? Truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. And verse 8 starts with, love never fails. Love never fails. If I could sing like Wesley, I would just belt out in song right there. But then, to emphasize the power of love, Paul puts a little pause here and and he, he wants to talk about how much powerful love is than all of the other giftings. He goes on to say that, but whether there are no prophecies, where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And then we get to our text for today. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part right now, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. That was my King James Version come out. Spoke as a child. I understand as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, 
but then, then I'm going to know as also I am known. Say with me again, I am known. And he ends with scripture all of us know and now about faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. As if his letter of love wasn't enough for some reason in the middle of this beautiful discourse, Paul feels compelled to embed a prophetic word to the Corinthian church regarding who they are in the kingdom of God through the power of his love. It seems for some reason Paul needed to remind the strong Corinthian church that although they may be growing in love, they must also fully visualize the work that God has already done in them through his spirit. One could almost imagine that already, even in the first generation apostolic church, the devil was on a mission to distract saints from their spirit-led purpose. And Paul, the leader that he was, was on a mission to remind them of what the Spirit of God was wanting them to see in their own lives. Is there anyone in here this morning that has ever felt robbed of victories that you feel like God has already promised you? Have you ever felt robbed of some things that you know you will stand up and testify every day that God's promised you these things? Is there anyone who's had an unquenchable desire to be of value to the kingdom of God? You know God's called you to do something. You're just looking for that time, waiting for that moment. Is there anyone who's ever felt too tired, too depreciated, or even too ineffective for his kingdom? Has the devil ever tried to convince anyone in the room today that that you aren't quite fit to be used in the kingdom of God? If you've answered yes to any of these questions, then I believe God has brought you here this morning to remind you to take a look in the mirror. Tell your neighbor one more time, I'm here for a purpose. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. If we were to break this scripture down to what Paul is really saying, right now we're looking in a mirror, but it's, it's dark. It's, how many of you ever walked into an old house and you saw the old dingy mirror from years and years and years ago? You can't, you can't even really get a good reflection out of that mirror. We can't see our reflection very well, but, but when we're face to face with God, we will see things a little differently because Right now, we can only know or see ourselves in small glimpses of what he sees in us. But then, when we are face-to-face with God, we will be able to see ourselves the way God has seen us since the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus was applied to our lives. It's my belief that from the time we accepted God's love through his Spirit, we became new creatures in him And that is the only way he sees us today. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says as much. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he what? He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's right now. That's today. That's not once we get to heaven. That's right now. We are new creatures. It's time for us to begin seeing ourselves the way God sees us right now. Ask your neighbor, how does God see you? Hope y'all like your neighbor today.
How does God see you? I like watching these young guys over here, so I'm going to keep watching them. How does God see you? Y'all better ask every question. You see, we all believe through Scripture that God is perfect, right? He's the one and only true and living God. He's, he's the perfect God. God's plan to send Jesus Christ to bridge the gap between us and our sin, that's a perfect plan, amen? And God's Spirit, His Spirit that dwells inside us, it is a perfect Spirit. Therefore, when we make the choice to follow God's perfect plan and accept that His perfect Son is our advocate and redeemer and then receive His perfect Spirit, we now have the perfect God living inside of us, which results in us being perfect. Somebody's going to take a clip of that on the podcast. And none of us in here today would stand up and say, I'm perfect. But we must come to an understanding that if we have repented of our sins, if we've been baptized in His name, and if we've received the gift of His Spirit, then we are now seen by God differently than anyone else can see us. We are new creatures this is why Luke 15, 7 through 10, Jesus tells us that all of heaven stops whatever they're doing and rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance. We're new creatures birthed and heaven sees us. All of heaven sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's from that point forward that the angels and God Almighty Himself see each of us in a new light. If you've not repented, if you haven't been baptized in His name, and if you haven't received His Spirit, then, then today quite possibly could be the first day of the rest of your life. If we have done these things, then according to Scripture, we are already new creatures through Christ Jesus. We're not the same people we used to be. We are the people God has called to lead the revival in Prairieville, Louisiana right now. So I've come this morning to deal with an issue. Why is it that so often we have such trouble seeing ourselves the way God already sees us? If you felt a purpose, a God calling in life, why is it that we have had trouble seeing ourselves that way? Why do we let the worries of this world so easily wear us down? Why do we buy our actions or lack of actions believe the devil when he tells us we're not worthy or capable of operating in the kingdom of God. I think Paul breaks down the 21st century Christian pretty good in his letter to the saints in Rome as he empathizes with the daily moral dilemmas of humanity in Romans 7:15 through 20, popular body of scripture, for what I am doing I do not understand, for what I will to do that I do not practice. But what I hate, that is what I do. If then I do what I will not to do, will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 18, for I know that in time that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Who's talking here? The Apostle Paul. Nothing good dwells in me. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Anybody ever felt called to do something, but you can't figure out how to do it? Guess who felt the same way? 
For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not, I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. The great apostle Paul says he doesn't do good because of the daily battle with sin in his own life. Yet look what he accomplished. Is there anyone that knows anything about the Bible that couldn't tell you something about the Apostle Paul? Yet look at the discourse that he just gave us. We, though our own fleshly processes have trouble seeing ourselves the way God sees us because we, like Paul, are engaged in this continuous war with the nature of this, this flesh. Remember the psalmist David reminds us in 51.5 that we are all born in what? And shaping in, in iniquity. Paul too reminds us in Romans 3 that we have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. I can't ever earn what God has given me. But we don't have to remain captive of the sinful nature of this flesh. What we must understand as believers is that although we alone will never achieve perfection in our own eyes, we must get to a place in our relationship with God where we've accepted His perfect, unconditional love. And we must begin to understand and act on how God already sees us. We must get to a place in our relationship with God where we understand how He sees us. But not just understand it, we must accept and act on how God sees us. Tell me if you've ever felt like you've gone through this this cycle, I'm a Christian now, right? So now I've got to eradicate all sin from my life because, because I've got to do that so that God can use me in his kingdom, right? I've got to get rid of all the bad stuff in my life. And I know I've got these areas of sin in my life that, that no one else knows about, right? They're, they're back here. Lust, gluttony, materialism, love of money, all these things that, that I constantly battle with. But I can't do anything for God until I get this sin out of my life. So I work hard, I pray, and I maybe even fast a little bit, and then I, I feel like I finally overcome my personal sins or my personal struggles. So, so after a few weeks of being clean, I haven't sinned in this particular area, so, so I think I can finally call Pastor Donovan or Brother Brendan or, or Sister Wendy and see if I, can, if I can do something in the church. Maybe now I can become an usher or a Sunday school teacher. Maybe now I can do something because I've, I've beat that sin for a couple weeks. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's maybe I finally started turning that corner and I've, I've got my family to church a few weeks in a row and I'm trying to be that husband, that father, that mother, that wife that, that's going to be consistent now and, and I'm going to do the things. I've got it beat. I'm going to do it. And just about the time I start feeling good about moving where I feel God wants me to go, where he's called me to be, what happens? I slip and fall. That old sin that was lurching back in the back of my mind, it just it snuck up on me one day. I, I wasn't prepared for it, and it got me, knocked me flat on my face. And so what happens? The cycle start, starts all over again. I feel like I can't do anything for the kingdom of God. I failed God again. He's up there keeping score. That's number 18 for Jeff this year. He's, he's failing again. I look at my wife, or I can't look at my wife. I failed my family. I've, I failed my pastor, and I just I have this 
desire to work through the things that, that God's called me to do, but, but I can't even look in the mirror anymore because I, I just can't. I feel like I've let God down. And then I start all over again, and then, and then I have to do it again, and then again. And this seemingly endless cycle repeats itself again and again and again and again and again until we realize, young people, that we wake up and, and we're 20 years old and we haven't beat that sin, and, and we're still waiting. We're sitting on our seat wishing that we could do something that we feel God has gifted us to do, but we know we got this sin still sitting back here. Then all of a sudden, young couples, we're, we're sitting here and we're, we, we wake up one morning and we realize we're, we're 30 years old and, and we're surprised to still be battling the same sins that, that we were battling when we were 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and we're, and we're feeling left unfulfilled as if we were still at that young age. And, and God forbid, there are some of us that are 40, 50, 60, and, and all the while, not only have we not felt fulfilled in the kingdom, there are times that we've even begun to question our own salvation because we've never fully deleted sin out of our lives or fulfilled what we feel like God has called us to do. Have you ever been there? Am I the only one that's ever gone through that cycle? Anybody there right now? Are you tired? Tired of that cycle? Please understand that right now, as we're going through this vicious cycle, I believe that God is standing right beside us saying, no, no, no. Take another look in the mirror. See yourself as I see you. See yourself through the blood that Jesus Christ shed for you. There's, there's so much I want to do through you right now in the midst of that sin. I love you. I love you how you are, and I need the giftings and talents that you have right now, even while you're battling those. There are people that you interact with every single day that you're the only one that can reach them because of what I'm allowing you to go through. That's what God's telling us right now. And he's saying, just begin to see yourself the way I see you. All the while, we're stepping away from that mirror saying, that all I see are my sins, God. All I see are my failures. All I see are my mistakes. I'm not good enough to be used in the kingdom. There's no way I can do anything for you, God. I dare not embarrass you. I dare not embarrass my family. I dare not embarrass my pastor. So, so what are we to do? I've come this morning to tell you that we are already new creatures through Christ Jesus. And we do not have to wait until we get to heaven to be the person that God has already empowered us to be. It's been his intention all along that as new creatures through Jesus Christ, that God wants us to know ourselves the way he knows us right now. God has a purpose for each of our lives. We must get to a place where we see and understand who God has called us to be. Is there anyone in the building this morning that desires to be what you know God has called you to be. You want to be what you know God has called you to be. Is there anyone ready to discover their purpose in the kingdom? If there is, bear with me for just a few minutes because today's the day. Do you believe it? Today is the day. This isn't a hype session. This is the real thing. Today is the day. I want to share with you three things this morning that if we do them, we will not only see, but we will be the people God already sees us as in his kingdom. Three things. Are you ready? 
the first thing we have to do is we have to accept God's perfect love in our lives. We have to accept God's perfect love in our lives. John 15, 13 says this about love. Greater love has no, no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. If we truly want to see ourselves the way God sees us, we must come to a full realization that Jesus Christ laid down his life for each of us. Some of, us, some of you are looking at me like, duh. We know that. But have we truly accepted that Almighty God had me on his mind when he was nailed to that cross? He knew every temptation that Jeff Powell would be facing on July 23rd, 2017, and he took it on for me so I wouldn't have to face it when I look in the mirror. There's no greater love than this. No matter how bad I think my sin is, I have to know, I have to realize, I have to accept that Jesus Christ has already beat it. It's not up to me to beat it. He's already done it. When we refuse to see ourselves the way God sees us, we are rejecting the love that Jesus Christ expressed towards us by giving his life for us. The devil would have us to believe that our sins are too much to overcome. He would have us to fall into the trap of those suspecting unbelievers who will be sent a delusion and will perish, according to 2 Thessalonians, because they did not receive what? The love of the truth that they might be saved. 1 John 4, 17-19 says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness, and I want to interject here, boldness to see ourselves the way God already sees us in the day of judgment, because as He is, this is the Bible, folks, as He is, so, we, so are we in the world. Not what we're going to be, but are we in the world right now? There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. When we truly accept God's perfect love, we understand that he laid his life down for us. There's nothing we should fear. When we truly accept God's perfect love, we begin to clean that mirror of our lives and get glimpses of who we are through Jesus Christ. Accepting God's perfect love means denying our current circumstances. It means looking in the face of trials and tribulations that we may be going through right now and saying, I have nothing to fear because God's got my back. It means that we begin to fully understand what 1 John 4, 4 says, says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. When we look at 1 John 4, we realize that if and when we truly accept God's perfect love, the fears that distort our vision of who we are begin to fade. I'm talking about the fears related to past sins, the fears of circumstances that look overwhelming, the fears that say you can't, when through His perfect love, God's looking back and saying, yes, you can. For some of us in this room this morning, it's past time for us to fully accept God's perfect love in our lives. That love is unconditional. Why don't you raise your hand up and say this with me? It's okay to participate. 
Say it loud. I accept God's perfect love in my life. There's nothing in my life that I fear. Say that again. There's nothing in my life that I fear. And the last thing with your hand still up. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. If we really believe that, I could put the microphone down right now and we would have a shouting service the rest of this day. If we really believe that greater is he that is in me than he that is in whatever situation or circumstance that I'm facing right now, we wouldn't be able to contain it. This building wouldn't be able to contain it. The words that we said when we went to eat lunch today wouldn't be able to contain it because greater is he that is in me. The fullness of the Godhead through his spirit is abiding in me and is trying to get out. He's shown me the things that he wants me to do. He's told me what he's wanting me to do, and I haven't accepted that yet. He's given me a purpose. It's up to me to do it, and it starts with accepting his unconditional love. For some of us this morning, in order for us to see ourselves the way God already sees us, number two, the second thing we need to do is we need to realize that Jesus Christ is our advocate. He's our advocate. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But then he says, And if anyone sins, as if to say, When you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Oftentimes it's easy for us to forget the full reason Jesus Christ, God in flesh, came to this earth. We've accepted him as our Savior. But it seems sometimes as though we've rejected him as our advocate. We reject him as our advocate when... We allow past failures to keep us from fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. Every time we use the excuse of current struggles or trials for our lack of involvement or fulfillment, we reject Jesus Christ as our advocate. How many of you are like me this morning and thought that as soon as you receive God's Spirit, we would immediately become immune to sin? Right? No worries now. I've accepted Jesus Christ. I've repented of my sins. I've been filled with His Spirit. Sin will run away from me. Boy, were we wrong. When God's Spirit abides in us, we do not supernaturally become little gods running around with no sin in our lives. We still have battles with pride, with lust, and with other sins that seem to try to plague us as we go through life, just as Paul did. However, we cannot allow these battles to cloud or distort our own perception of how God actually sees us. Once we're saved, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ stands in the gap so that our sins, many as they may be, should never separate us from the vision that God has for our lives 
He sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. There will always be sin to battle. You're never going to wake up one day and there not be sin to battle. We will still fight to overcome those sins. Every day there's going to be a fight. Paul had the same fights. We're going to win some battles. We're going to fall on our face sometimes. But the difference between those who develop a clear vision for what God wants to do through them and those that do not is that those who have a clear vision understand that though they may never completely eradicate sin from their life, their sin is under a bridge that's paved with the blood of Jesus Christ. I've got sin in my life. Others have sin in their life. Maybe there's somebody that doesn't. I don't know. Can't find that in Scripture. But the sin that's in my life, when I plead the blood over my home and my family and myself every day, that sin is under a bridge that's paved with the blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood, once applied to our lives, allows us to go boldly before the throne room of God as a prince in his kingdom. You can say that to yourself. I'm a prince in his kingdom. In other words, you didn't have to tell your neighbor. You could just tell yourself. Once we apply his blood to that shadowy mirror of our lives, we should truly see a clearer picture of how God sees us. We shouldn't see the sin that's plagued our past. We should see the new creature God has created in us. We are new creatures through Christ Jesus. We have to believe that. We don't have to keep looking in the rearview mirror of our lives any longer. We can focus on the windshield. We don't have to be afraid of where we're coming from. We can get excited and focus on where we're going. We're going to have a flat tire on the way? Maybe. We're going to run out of gas every now and then? Maybe. But I can focus on where I'm going. I promise you when I'm going on vacation, what am I focused on? The windshield. We have an advocate with the Father who will only allow God to see us through his blood that was shed for us. If we could ever grasp that. God's not looking at our sin. He's not checking Keeping score up there on how many times we fall. He sees the blood of his son. It's time for each of us to see and to be who God has created and called us to be. We've got to accept his perfect love in our lives. And and then we must accept that Jesus Christ is our advocate. And our sins are covered by his blood. He's before the throne room daily as an advocate for us. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to dwell on it. We don't have to keep thinking about it. Let's say it together. Say, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. But today, I accept Him as my advocate. Devil! Well, you got to say it like I did. Devil! You're a liar! I'm not the man I used to be. Some of you, if you hadn't followed this salvation message yet, you're doing it right now. You tell the devil right now he's a liar. It doesn't matter what you did last night. 
It doesn't matter what you were doing at 6 o'clock this morning. What matters is right now, Jesus Christ is my advocate. And I know that the devil is a liar. And you tell him right now, I'm doing things in God's kingdom. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. Jesus has my back. There's power in the spoken word, folks. There's power in the spoken word. Jesus has my back. He's my advocate before the Father. He's also my Savior. Finally, you're on the edge of your seat. It's time for us to be the people God has already called us to be. It's time for us to be the people that he already sees us as. So who does God say you are? I could pass the microphone around right now and just let you answer that. It's a different kind of lesson this morning, maybe more preaching than preaching. But who does God say you are? Well, if you've been baptized in his name, if you've repented of your sins, if you've been filled with your spirit, you know what First Peter says you are? 2.9. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. He says you're a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's who we are. Maybe you haven't gotten a specific word for where God wants you to go or what he, what he wants you to be. That scripture alone tells us enough. God has called us to be a great people. We are a chosen generation, chosen for right now, for right here, each one of us. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy people. We are his own. We've been paid for with his blood that will show forth praises of him he's brought us out of the darkness and into the light so that we can see him and so that we can see ourselves for what he created us to be second corinthians five seventeen again says therefore if any man be in christ if any man be in christ he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new it's time to be what God has called us to be. You ever heard the saying, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, acts like a duck, must be what? It's got to be a duck. A lot of times we use that to talk about something happening negative, right? <laughs> Just be real with it. What if we started saying, if he's walking like Jesus, if she's trying to talk like Jesus, if he's trying to act like Jesus, and maybe, quite possibly, Jesus is living through him.
If he walks like Jesus, if he talks like Jesus, if he acts like Jesus, then Jesus must be alive and well with his spirit operating through us. When I was in college, I heard that in a survey of high-ranking management and company officers, most said that as they moved up the corporate ladder, they actually performed the duties of the next higher position that they sought after in the ladder for up to three years before they were actually promoted to that position. What no one else in the organization realized is that these people already saw themselves in those positions before anyone else caught on. They were just glad to finally get paid for it. The bottom line is we tell our children to dream of what you want to be. See yourself doing those things and and do then do everything you can to fulfill that dream. We tell them to go and be that person. This morning, God, as our Heavenly Father, is saying, you are my children. See the vision I have for you? It's how I see you already. Go. And be that person. Say this with me. Y'all catching on to that yet? I am a child of God. I am a royal priesthood. I am called for a purpose in his kingdom. When we accept God's perfect love, which casts out all fear. When we truly realize that Jesus Christ is our advocate, no longer letting sin stand between us and God. Then, then, we can look in the mirror and see the person that God sees us as. And begin living like the person he already knows us to be. For now... We see through a a dark mirror. It's dark because we haven't fully accepted his perfect love in our lives. It's dark because we've maybe accepted him as our savior, but we haven't accepted him as our advocate. We're still blinded by our struggles, our daily struggles, the things that we go through. Now we know in part, but then... Once we do accept his love and accept him as our advocate, then we'll know ourselves just as Jesus Christ already knows us. Would you stand with me this morning? I told you at the beginning the message was about caterpillars and butterflies. Y'all been waiting for me to get back to that, haven't you? You know that caterpillars and butterflies go through this this metamorphosis, but caterpillars represent a relatively short period of the life cycle of the butterfly. They uh, caterpillars may never leave the plant where the eggs are laid that they're hatched from. 
fact, some of them may never even leave the leaf that it hatches on. Its job for the entire time that it's a caterpillar is to do what? Eat. Got a lot of eighth grade science kids saying, yep, that's right. Eat. That's all it does. About two weeks of its life. All it does is eat, and then it wraps itself in the cocoon. And it comes out seven to ten days later as a beautiful butterfly. When they're in that butterfly state, that, that actually represents the longest portion of the life cycle. The caterpillar may stay on a single leaf or single plant for that whole portion of their life, but there, there are some species of butterfly like the monarch butterfly that in their great migration actually travel from Canada down to Mexico over 3,000 miles. Quite different from that caterpillar that it came from, right? Caterpillars are like leeches. They just attach to the leaf or the, the plant, and if you've ever tried to glow, grow tomatoes or something and a caterpillar gets on there, you'll know it doesn't take them long to devastate a plant. They're like a, a leech. All they do is suck the life out of something. But butterflies, they, they eat and drink liquids. They particularly like nectar from flowering plants, meaning like a bee, they, they spend this portion of their life spreading pollen from one plant to another. They help cult cultivate and, and reproduce life. The remarkable thing is that caterpillars and the butterflies that they turn into have the exact same DNA. They don't turn into a different animal. It's the same DNA, in fact, this is a phenomena that actually flies in the face of the theory of evolution when you study it. Two seemingly completely different creatures share the same DNA, yet they represent completely different lifestyles. When you look in the mirror this morning, what are you seeing? Are you seeing a caterpillar? Are you seeing a butterfly? As we get ready to open the altar this morning, are there some maybe in the room today that through various life situations and circumstances, trials and tribulations, there have been some lies thrown in your face. There have been times that you've been just too tired to be what you know God's called you to be. Maybe we've forgotten that his love casts out all fear and there's been some shame and some fear from things in the past that have, have kept you from realizing the things that you know God's called you to do. There may be some in the room that have forgotten that Jesus Christ is as much our advocate as he is our Savior. And, and because of recent struggles with sin, we've allowed those things to keep us from seeing ourselves the way God sees us. 
Folks, we've never done anything to earn His grace or His mercy. We can't do it today. It's free. Maybe there's some in the room that have just been content hanging out here at Life Point, not, not realizing that as a royal priesthood, as a royal priesthood that we're called to be, we have priestly duties that God already sees us accomplishing. When you study out the, the priesthood, no, no priest didn't have anything to do. There was something for everybody. This morning, God's looking at life point. And as Pastor spoke this morning, he talked about where we are and, and where we're going, what God's trying to do in our church. Before God can take us to the places He wants us to go. Each one of us that are here today, we're called here today to build on that foundation to prepare us for what's coming. So whether it's fear or whether it's not accepting Him as our advocate or whether it's just understanding that Today I remember that God's called me for a purpose. The altars are open for all who want to realize what God already sees them as. For all who want to take a fresh look in the mirror and say, God, I didn't see this this morning when I got my hair ready. But after hearing your words today, God, I know you've created me for a special purpose today and I desire to be that person. If you feel the call, if you feel the tug, if you want to be a part of taking life point to that next place, why don't you join us here at the altar to be a part of what God's called you to be, to do what God's called you to do and receiving who he is in our lives today. The altar's open.